Micah. Turn to your Bibles in Micah. Old Testament book, Minor Prophet, Micah chapter 6. We'll look at verse 8. I enjoyed spending some time with your uh, men that came out. They were much of a blessing. I want to say thank you to you because I was told that there were bake sales and car washes and things like that that, was, that were done that they might be able to come out. <clears throat> and I want to say from the Lord, well, from our hearts, uh, as in the name of the Lord, thank you. Uh, that was a lot of work on your part, but you did something, those men did something in one week that it would have taken us six months to do. And so we're very thankful. We have a new uh, Sunday school room, and uh, we're very, very thankful for that. Micah chapter 6, and let's look at verse 8. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, the last phrase, and to walk humbly with your God. I want to talk to you this morning about humility, being humble. As I was sitting in my living room with the eight guys around my wife and I, we started talking about things that were important to them. All of the teenagers had left and we started to discuss some things. One of the things that came back to my mind, because we don't have many college students there in Anahola, one of the things that came back to my mind is the importance that is in the heart of college students about two, two areas in their life. One being vocation, what are they going to do? And the second being their marriage, who are they going to do it with? And as I was talking with them, we got into talking about our relationship, Maria and mine, my wife and I, and we started talking about how we got together and it ventured into about a 45-minute to an hour discussion about that. And it reminded me of how important it is for college students to understand certain principles of life. More than anything else in your life, you want to be a successful family man or a successful wife or a mother. You want to be what God wants you to be in that family. The struggle with that oftentimes is we don't always know how and we sometimes have had bad examples in our life. I wanted to speak to you this morning about, I believe, a foundational principle in your life as a college student, that if you don't learn now, your children, the people that you know the rest of your life will be affected by that. It's a topic that is oftentimes avoided because in seeking to understand this topic, it shows the person who is studying all of the deficiencies in his life about pride or in humility. But I wanted to talk to you this morning because I believe humility is the foundational truth for successful relationships and a successful vocation of life. Humility. In the Old Testament, God is talking to His nation and He's telling them, this is what I require of you. I don't care about the sacrifices. I don't care about the other externals. I'm concerned about your heart. And He says to them, I want three things. First, I want you to do justly. Second, I want you to love mercy. And third, I want you to walk humbly with Me. We don't have the time to go into the, those three areas because I believe humility is the basis for obedience, doing justly, and obedience is the basis for love. The guys reminded me, they said, how do you know you're in love? And how do you know if this person loves you? And how do you know if this is going to uh, continue out the rest of my life? How can I be successful in this relationship? And I brought them back to this idea about humility. What is it? What does it mean to be humble? Well, to understand that, we've got to first of all understand the opposite, which is pride. We oftentimes think that pride is that egoism where a person thinks he's greater than what he really is. And that is surely pride. 
We think about people that are high in the media or high in the offices of the land. We say that man or that person is proud because he thinks he's a great deal. But I think in viewing it that way, we miss the essence of really what pride is. Because you can be proud and think very little of, of yourself. You can be proud and think that you're a joke or that you're not good at anything or that you're a failure. You can look at yourself and say, you know, I'm just really lousy and that's pride. Because the essence of pride is thinking about yourself. Whether you think great or whether you think lowly, whether you cut yourself down all the time, we used to call it when I was growing up a self-image concept that everybody had to have a good self-image. But that translates, when you always think about yourself, that translates into pride. Pride is focusing on yourself. And so the opposite of that is not focusing on yourself. And that's a good working, uh, practical understanding of what humility is. God says in the Old Testament, I want you to walk humbly with me. This word here means to bow lowly. But what does the Scripture give to us that we might be able to understand humility? Take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We have a proud nation in the nation of Israel. They are a picture of what mankind is. Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses is giving the law again. And in this chapter, he gives us a good definition of what humility is. Starting with verse 1, All the commandments which I command you this day shall, shall you observe to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these forty years in the wilderness, next phrase, to humble you and to prove you and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or no. There's the idea of humility being the basis of obedience. And He humbled you and suffered you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you knew not, neither did your fathers know, that He might make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God doth man live. It talks about their raiment did not, their clothes did not wax old, that their feet did not swell, and it goes on and on. And I would purport to give to you this morning that the basis of God's humbling of Israel is the same basis of our humbling ourselves and of God humbling you and me. You will be a scourge to your family if you're proud. You will be a blight to your children if you're proud. Men and women need to be humble in the sight of God. And that means being dependent upon who, who God is. Humility, the best way I can explain it is this. Humility is the mark of God's presence on the life. You meet a man who is humble and you know that man has been in the presence of God. Now, I'm not talking a superficial humility. I'm talking about a humility that goes down into the heart. I'm talking about a, a humility that is necessary in salvation. You remember in Matthew chapter 5 the priority of humility where Christ makes the statement, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is happy is the individual who has come to realize that he cannot do it on himself. He cannot be satisfied or sufficient in and of himself. He needs somebody else. And that someone else is God. When man comes into the presence of God, a change or a transformation takes place in his life. Just as these Israelites, when they were in the wilderness with God, 
He took them to a place where they could not be sufficient of themselves. They couldn't go to the five and dime and buy food and clothes. They were out there in a wilderness. They had no water. They had no food apart from God. And every day, day in and day out, they had to depend upon God. And God said, I humbled you in that. You see, when we come into the presence of God, something transpires. We realize that we are insufficient for the tasks in front of us and that we are insufficient even of ourselves. God has to humble people in many unusual ways. He started here with Israel giving the understanding of how people are to be humbled. It goes on through this chapter and it, and it makes the statement that if you come into the promised land and you have the honey and the milk and you're really enjoying it and you forget me, then God says, I will bring all the plagues onto your life that the people of that nation that or those nations that you're going to dispossess, I will bring them upon your head. Why? So that I can humble you and teach you a lesson again. In Daniel chapter 4, if you'll turn there, we have another show of how God humbles men. Daniel chapter 4. Now remember this. There is a deception of independency. One of, the, one of the devil's most effective tools is a faulty belief of man's independency of God. If he can make us believe that we can exist, even prosper apart from God, then he's won a major victory we then begin, watch this, to compartmentalize God. If the devil can make us think that we can handle any aspect of our life apart from God, then what we do is say, okay, God, in this, in this particular section of my life, I don't need you, I can do it by myself. We can say that about our studies. We can say that about uh, looking for a mate. We can say that about everything in our life. We can compartmentalize God. And God then is resigned to a portion on Sunday morning where we come and talk to Him, or we come and pray, or we come and read His Word. We can either do it, we can often do it with our devotion. You know, the 15 minutes or the 30 minutes in the morning time after we get up or try to get up. We're supposed to have devotions of some time, sometime during the day. And we take God and say, God, now in this section of my life, you are very important to me. But then we get up off of our knees and we walk to our different locations and we say, see, I can handle life. I can do this. And that changes when what happens? When an emergency bombs into our life. When we get in an accident or something happens or our girlfriend or boyfriend tells us to take a hike. All of a sudden now, God, I can't handle this. What we've done is we've bought the lie from the devil that I can handle life apart from God. I can handle life not needing God's strength. It was the first sin in the history of man. Go ahead, eat the fruit, the devil said. You can handle this apart from God. In fact, you'll be like God. It was the first sin, even not in time, but when the devil was created and made, he wanted to be like God. Pride issued in. But in Daniel chapter 4, we have a unique display of how God can humble a man. Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was ruler of the known world at that time. And he has a dream and he's bothered by it and he calls in all the wise men and none of them can give him the answer except for Daniel. And Daniel says this, God has made a statement. He said, God is going to humble you unless you humble yourself. Verse 17 of chapter 4 says this, This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand 
by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. What he was trying to tell Nebuchadnezzar was this, you are not in charge because of the strength of your own hand, because of your own ability. You are in charge because God has placed you there. And so Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, now listen, humble yourself and realize that God is in charge. And then the narrative goes on and what happens is after a year, Nebuchadnezzar comes out upon the bulwarks of his castles and his great walls and he puts his hand upon the, the stone there and he leans out and he looks at all of the wonderful things, quote unquote, that he says that are of my hand. And he leans out there realizing the importance and the weightiness of his own person as he leans against his hand and as he pulls back and he brushes the gravel of the stone off of his hands and he remembers that, you know, men's life are like that, is like that. I can kill him in a moment. I can brush him out of existence. And he makes a statement. He says, look at all the things that I have done. Look at verse 30. And when the king spake and said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the, power of, by the might of my power and for the honor of, of my majesty? And while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, and it decreed to him, I warned you, now you're going to pay. And what happens is that Nebuchadnezzar is driven from humanity and society. He goes out and acts like an animal. His hair grows to be like, it says, uh, eagle's feathers. His fingernails grow to be like claws. And he eats grass with other animals for seven years, being humbled by God. In verse 34, let's take up the narrative. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever. <coughs> Excuse me. Whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of earth... And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What do you do? And at the same time my reason returned unto me, and, and for the glory of my kingdom my honor and my brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my Lord sought me out, and I was established in my kingdom, and an excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgments, and his, and his ways judgments. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. We have an example where God humbled a man. And he humbled man by showing him the power of his own hand. You are young. You are on the beginning of your life. You can't see down the road. You don't know what you're going to be doing in five and ten years. I'm doing something that was a lot different than what I thought I would be doing. I never thought I would be in Hawaii pastoring a small church that I didn't even know at that time when I was in high school. But God led me out there and through some unusual circumstances led me to people who were very kind and gracious, loving people but didn't have a shepherd. And I can remember what went through my heart as God led me there and He taught me the lesson that He is in control of my, not, my life, not me. You don't see what's going to be down the road. But what is imperative for you and me to learn every day of our life is this quality that is so imperative for God's blessing. 
I could talk about all kinds of neat things that would help you understand about marriage or help you understand about family or help you understand about vocation. But nothing could I talk about that is important about your essential humility before God. You can be a successful man in your vocation. You can bring down a lot of money. You can have a good family. But all of those things are not going to make you successful in the eyes of God. You can be well-known. You can have a large church. Or you can be well-known in that church. And if you're not humble before God, you're not walking with God. I asked the question to these guys when they were out there. I said, can a proud man walk with God? Can a proud man walk with God? And I got yeses and noes and maybes and I'm not sure. I ask you that question. Can a proud man walk with God? I think the Scripture gives us a very strong, strong answer to that. And I wanted to do it to give you that answer, first of all, in an illustration. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, you'll find that God calls a man by the name of Saul. He's tall. I should say he's tall. Because back in those times, men were very much shorter. And probably David uh, in, his, uh, in his life was no taller than about right here five foot. Okay? We know that by certain uh, armor and things that the people wore back, that, back at that time that we still have today. Okay? Swords and shields and helmets and things like that. So David was probably about this tall, and it says that Saul was head and shoulders above all of the crowd. And so I was the height of Saul, all right? I was born just about 2,000 years late, all right? But Saul was head and shoulders. He was the man above all the others. He was the man that everybody, boy, this would be a great king for us. And God tells Samuel, he says, Samuel, I will tell you there's going to be coming a man tomorrow that I want you to anoint as king over my nation. And so Saul comes along, and Saul doesn't come out and he says, I'm it, I'm the one. In fact, he's looking for his, his father's donkey. All right, and, sin, and God, or God tells Samuel, there's the man. And Samuel comes along the scene and tells Saul, you're, anoint, you're anointed of God to be king. And Saul's response is this, am I not least in my father's house, which is least in the nation of Israel? He was giving a positional insecurity statement of it. Hey, listen, you've got the wrong guy. It was a false humility. Now, how do I know it's a false humility? Because it's the opposite end of pride. One person says, yeah, you got the right man. You're exactly right. I'm head and shoulders above everybody else. Come on, put the oil on. Another guy says, no, 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 I'm not very good. I'm, you know, I just, I, there's just not much to me. All right? Both of them are focusing on self. All right? Now, why do I say that? Because a little bit later in 1 Samuel chapter 10, when he is anointed, he does some good explo- exploits before God and for the nation. But then he's pushed in chapter 13 to obedience. Now remember this. The fruit of humility is obedience. And the fruit of obedience is love. The fruit of humility is obedience. And the fruit of obedience is love. Love is not necessarily only infatuation. And we had a great discussion about that in my house. Infatuation comes and goes. Love is a commandment. When God says to me, love me with all your heart, soul, and mind, He's not saying feel really neat about me. Mushy about me. You know, you've seen the guys, when as soon as they get uh, dating somebody really special, you can't even talk to them. They're gazed look. They come in the room and they're just 
Susie, Susie. It's just like the high school boy that I heard a story about where he, he was uh, talking about, we'll call her name Mary. Oh, Mary this, and at the table, Mary that, and Mary the other, and Mary, 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 Mary. Just wonderful. And, and uh, he came back about two weeks later, and they were expecting to hear all about Mary. And, and uh, he was like, oh, Joan this, and Joan that, and Joan the other. And, and the guy said, well, what about Mary? And his comment was, Mary who? That happens with infatuation. See? It comes and it goes. Love is a commandment. So if you're going to love, if you're going to say to a woman or a man someday that you're going to marry, I will love you with all of my heart, that's a, that is following in obedience. I have chosen to love you. If you are not a good obeyer, you will not be a good loving or lover. If you cannot love when yourself or your flesh tells you, no, I don't want to, I don't feel like it right now. If you can't say to your flesh, I'm sorry that you don't feel like it right now, but I'm going to love, you won't be a good lover. You say, well, how do I get to be obedient? You're going to be a good obedient servant when you have the humility to submit yourself. Because humility brings obedience. And we'll see that in just a moment. But in, to continue on this illustration with Saul, he comes to Gilgal and, and Samuel had said to him, Now listen, I want you to wait seven days for me. Well, the Philistines are coming and Saul's getting a little bit scared because he's waited seven days, but he hasn't waited until Samuel came. And so what he does is he forced himself, he said to Samuel, and I, and I offered sacrifice, which was not for him to do. He was more concerned about himself than what he was doing in the eyes of the people to a holy God. And what happens is his pride continues and he continues to disobey and God ceases to walk with him. In Isaiah chapter 57, if you'll turn there, we're given a passage of Scripture that is very, very deep in conjunction with this because it teaches us the delight of the humble one. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. God is speaking and He's telling a very unusual statement. He's saying, Although I am God over all of the universe and, and although I am God that controls all things and makes all things, yet this is the person that I dwell with. In Isaiah 57:15 he says, "For such, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one." God says this, "A humble individual draws my attention." Okay? Does that mean that if a person is going to have a relationship with God, he's got to be humble? Well, let's see. Turn to the New Testament counterpart of that in James chapter 4. God has said in the Old Testament that He will dwell with the one that is humble. And the delight of the humble one, or the humility's delight, is the fact that God will dwell with him. We didn't turn there, but in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2, it says the humble one trembles at the Word of God. But in James chapter 4, let's start with verse 6. James 4, verse 6. 
but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. Now, if you know anything about that phrase, it says the following. God holds at arm length the proud. And when the proud individual wants to come to God and commune with God, God holds them at arm length. Said, no, you can't come. God resists the proud, but He gives grace unto the humble. Verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-binded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Okay? Humility is important. If I'm going to have an intense walk with God, I've got to be humble. But how do I do that? How do I walk with God humbly? How do I know if I'm humble? If I were to hand out a questionnaire to you this morning before I preached and said one question, are you humble? What would you put? Well, the moment you say yes, you've got a problem with your conscience. And then you scratch that out and say, well, then no. And you go back and forth and back and forth. How does an individual know that he's humble? At the beginning of the message, I said that humility is the mark of God's presence upon the life. I could take you from the Old Testament through the New Testament and show you every time that a human being came in conjunction with the presence of God, he immediately was on his face before a holy God. You can look at Jacob. You can look at Abraham. You can look at Joseph. You can look at all of the Old Testament patriarchs. You can look in the Old Testament when Joshua came into the land and he met God face to face. You can look at Moses when he went up to the mountain and saw God face to face, he immediately covered himself in a shawl. Humility is the result of that encounter, that daily encounter. It's the real realization that God is totally and absolutely in, in control of all things. And I, as an individual, am not the master of my own faith. I must be dependent upon this great and holy God. But... The way to obtain humility is in two ways. God can either humble you as we saw in the Old Testament or in verse 10 here, the next verse that we're going to look at, God places the responsibility at your, at your door. Verse 10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. How do you humble yourself? In the presence of God. That's coming into the presence of God and realizing who He is and who you are. And realizing His strength and His power. The worship time that you do here. That's a wonderful time to humble yourself in the sight of God. No proud man abides in the presence of God. Because God withstands those. And you must be in the presence of God. And I must be in the presence of God if my life is going to be a successful one for God. It's the beginning of salvation. It's the process of sanctification. And when we hit heaven in glorification, it's eternity in the presence of God. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, we're told that Jesus Christ humbled Himself. Can God really humble Himself? If we say that humility is dependence upon someone else, it's understanding my weaknesses. How can then God humble Himself? Well, it says there He took upon Himself 
the form of a servant. And he humbled himself unto death. He said while he was upon earth, I do the works of my Father which is in heaven. My Father is greater than I. He submits himself to his Father. And yet we, you and me both, our days grow on and we estimate ourselves in the eyes of other people who are just as human as we are. And if they think we're great, well, then I'm a pretty good Joe. But if they cut me down, oh boy, that's terrible. What about what God thinks? And what about what God says? Are you and I, are we strong enough to be in the presence of God so that He might humble us? Humbling ourselves in God's presence is bowing the knee to whatever He calls. You can have a check on your humility by how you respond to authority. The biggest problem of teenagers, I used to be a youth pastor, and one of the things I always ask the question to teenagers is, how do you respond to authority? Do you get along with your parents? Do you get along with other authorities? That told me probably about 95% of their spiritual life. How does one become submissive to authority? It comes back to humility to God. Because when God is seen as who He is and I bow my knee before Him, I submit myself to Him because He is all, all God and all sovereign. And when he, when he is in my life in that capacity, I have no problem submitting myself to Him. And then He says, Hey, I put this authority over your life. And I say, okay, I'm going to submit to this authority because God placed it there. I might not agree with it, I might not like it, but I will submit myself to this authority. How do I ensure a good relationship in my family with my wife? It comes back to humility. Because by humility, I can do what I need to do for my wife and my family. <laughs> when I come home from work, and two, I have twin boys about three years old. And they're just fun. They're just a lot of fun. They're just getting where you can talk to them now and communicate with them and their thoughts are really enjoyable to listen to try to pan out. But when I come home from a day of work, sometimes I have heavy thoughts because of what I've dealt with at church that day. And sometimes I don't feel like tickling my boys every night. But that's, that's the world to them. Daddy, 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 tickle us. All right. I don't feel like it, son. What prods me to do what is a father? And I'm not saying that that's the whole scope of fatherhood is tickling your children. But what prods me to do what I ought to do for my children, for my wife? It's the necessary understanding in my mind that I have submitted myself to a holy God and in humility, whatever He calls me to do, I will do. And mark it down. I can find every time I have a problem with submitting, I can mark it down. I am proud in that area. No, I... And the thing, as I mentioned, it goes on into love. The same understanding. We must be people who are humble. We must not be individuals who are so proud and haughty that the world looks at us and calls us proud. We must be people of humility. Because God resists the proud and, we, proud, and if we would have blessing and fellowship with Him. We must be humble people. Last verse of Scripture I want you to look at to show you how this all cycles out is in John chapter 14.
there is a cycle that you set in motion when you humble yourself in the sight of God. That if you keep that cycle moving by the grace of God, your life will be blessed. Most of you in here do not have children. When the day comes and you go to the hospital and a child is born, and you look at the offspring of your love for the first time, or the offsprings of your love for the first time, more than anything else in your heart, you want to be a good father or mother. But you know something? If you start then, you're behind the race. Students, you've got to start now to humble yourself. There are children yet unborn that will feel the either blight of your life, unwillingness to humble yourself or the pleasure or the blessing that a father or a mother was willing to humble themselves in college. Your children are at stake in this. Your wife or your, your husband is at stake. Your vocation. In John chapter 14, we read a verse, verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. That's a blessed, blessed verse. And we're going to just look at its different components. He that hath my commandments. You say to me, wait a second, you said commandments or obey, obedience was based upon humility. You'll find in verse 20 that Christ has just said that you will be in me and I will be in you. And the, the first ingredient... And salvation is humility. It's a humbling. It's realizing that I have a deficiency. I have a need. I cannot glorify God as I ought. It's coming to the cross, the narrow gate, and saying, I cannot take the burdens of all my wonderfulness in this gate, and I must leave them off and go through the gate by myself. Well, there's a union there, as Christ talked about it. And in verse 21, then He says, and he that hath my commandments and keepeth them. That's obedience. He it is that loves me. You can know your love of God by your obedience of God. And he it is that loveth me. Now look at this phrase. What? To be loved of my Father. You want to be loved of God? Obey Him. You want to be loved of God? Love Him. Now watch the next phrase. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now, here's where we're going. It's a cycle. As you humble yourself in the presence of God and who he is in your life, and you start to obey him as you ought, that grows love out of your life. And as that growing love out of your life comes full cycle, then God reveals himself more to you, humbles you more, you obey more, you love more, He reveals more, and you go around in this cycle until you die and go see Him face to face. But what we do is cut it short. God, in seeking to reveal Himself to us, at times only hardens our heart. When God comes as He did to the Israelites and says to them, I took you out there to be devoid of everything but Me, and they gave lip service to God while they needed His sustenance, but the moment prosperity came, 
what happened to their life. They started worshiping idols and all kinds of other things. Because it says in Deuteronomy that they forgot that it was God who had done all these wonderful things in their life. Don't allow the pride to destroy your life. I am a relatively young man. I guess I'll be saying that until I die. But I'm a relatively young man. And I've seen in my young ministry pride destroy homes, years and years of marriage. I've watched a boy talk to me with tears in his eyes about the pride of a father. I watched that boy tell me that he only wanted his dad to love him. And that when he was a young boy, he went out and wanted to spend time with his dad working on the car with his older brother and his dad. And his dad said to him, Get back inside where your mother is. That's where you belong. And he said, From that day on, I kept trying to make contact with my dad, but he would never love me. And to talk to that individual and realize what sin had reaped in his life and the pride of his own heart, not wanting to deal with those pains before a holy God and understand that God allowed those things in his life to perfect him, he became hardened and hardened. And a boy of great promise turned into an individual who now lives with other men just to satisfy his desire to be needed and to be loved. I could tell you horror stories of girls weeping because of the pain they received from a proud father or a proud mother. I've watched jobs be destroyed because people were too proud to submit themselves to authority. I watched churches destroyed because people were too proud to reconcile. God is God. He deserves to be worshipped. He deserves yours and my life. He, de he deserves your response to His presence. I'll tell you one thing. If you're a Christian here this morning, there will come a time when all of us will live out our humility because in heaven there will be no proud people. Please listen this morning. I, I would have loved to spend the time telling funny stories but please listen. Don't allow pride to ruin you. Because it will destroy you. Just as it destroys Lucifer, Satan. Just as it destroyed Nebuchadnezzar. Don't let it ruin your life. Because if you do, you'll have no one to blame but yourself. Love, obedience, is built upon humility. Let's pray. Father, we do eternal work here. We acknowledge the fact that you are sovereign, you are divine, we are human. Father, I would ask your blessing upon these students and this faculty. Give wisdom to the faculty as they teach. Help the students to be willing and submissive to listen, to respond correctly to the authority placed in their lives. Father, add a blessing to this place.
you saw the work that they accomplished in their efforts of service in the car washes and the bake sales. Father, bless them for that. You know what it's done for our church. But more than anything else, at this one point in time, let us enter into your presence and let us know the glory of who you are, that the pride of our heart which seeks to take your throne would be destroyed. And that every day, Lord, help us to enter into your presence that we might remember who you are and what you've done for us. And may Jesus Christ be exalted who is worthy of all the praise and honor and worship. And may we look forward to the time when we will see him and praise him. For he is the Lord of salvation. For we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Mercy I cannot find in my heart.